Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. One of the most important things to realize is that people are observing our body language and our response. So it's not just about the words that you're using to describe these events. It's about showing that emotion in your face. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today, we have another episode of the always much anticipated AOC Toolbox. We're going to tell you what happens when you run out of things to say in a conversation, what to do about it, how to make sure it never happens again, and how to be interested to be interesting. Also, staying small, becoming vulnerable, creating rapport, and surprise, surprise, some active listening skills to make sure that you never have this problem again. So enjoy this episode of the AOC Toolbox with AJ, Johnny, and myself here at The Art of Charm. And with that, welcome to the show. We bring together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. If you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes and the toolbox, including episodes just like this one, where we discuss things like body language and nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, and everything else we teach here at AOC. If you're in the U.S., just text CHARMED to 33444, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444, and everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the right questions. All right, let's talk to AJ and Johnny. So a lot of the notes that we get, a lot of email and a lot of people of all ages often say that they run out of things to say in conversation and they can't keep conversations going or they don't know what to do after hello or after the introduction. And there's a lot of different sort of ways people flag this problem or state this problem, but it all comes down to what looks like running out of things to say or to talk about in conversation. And I know you guys handle a lot of this at our live programs, and I would love to get a toolkit out there for people to harness some AOC skills so that so that they don't, quote unquote, run out of things to say during their interactions. Yeah, I think it's probably one of the most common questions we get on the program too, is how do I keep a conversation going, right? I've read online how to start a conversation, I've listened to the podcast, and I know how to say hello, but there are these lulls in conversation and I don't know how to guide things or sometimes I draw a blank. So this problem really presents itself because we're not listening and all of the conversation cues happen on a verbal and nonverbal level. So when I say listening, I don't just mean with your ears, I also mean with your eyes. We're not paying attention to people's facial expressions and the emotion that is coming through what they're saying. So that's what we really want to focus on is how to become a better listener, because the best conversationalists we've met in our lives are incredible listeners, and they find those ways to relate to you in a relatively easy fashion. What do you mean by listening specifically? Johnny, do you want to kind of define what listening is? Because I think a lot of people think listening is sitting there until the other person is done talking. Listening is the part of it, but there's another component to that of I use this analogy of a, a guy on the home plate on the batter's box, right? Baseball. And we all like to think 
you know, that we're very good listeners. And if we hear the right thing, that we can have a witty, snappy comeback. And the girl or whoever we're speaking with is going to think we're the most hilarious, amazing person on the planet. And so we're always focusing on trying to hit the home run. And so we ask a question and then we get a pitch coming in and we don't like that answer. We don't have anything zingy, witty to go with that. So we ask another question and we don't like that answer. So we're just standing over the batter's box, waiting to swing and waiting for the perfect pitch, soft pitch coming over the middle. We could smack a home run. And the thing is, it's getting out of the thinking of trying to smack a home run and getting into the thinking of just getting on base, just getting a grounder, just move the conversation along. Quit looking for the home run, the snappy, witty comeback, the zinger that's going to have her laughing so hard or the guy that you've just met thinking you're the coolest person in the world and move the conversation forward. There's the part of listening, which is listening and waiting for the right thing so you can cue up your best answer, which isn't going to happen. And then and continue asking questions. for. So when you hear something that matches what you've already put together in your head, then you can hit the home run. But it's it doesn't happen that way. And this is why we do improv in the class, right? So the guys can work with different scenes, different scenarios, word association, and realize that the wit and the fun comes from listening and being present in the game. Because there's never going to be that perfect pitch. That waiting for that perfect pitch is a bad strategy. Absolutely. And even silly games like word association will have you understand that you're always going to cue up what you think you need to say. But every time it gets to the person next to you, he never says what you need him to say. So you you have to stop that train of thought. Right. So instead of only playing the game of conversation when something comes directly over the plate, we have to train ourselves to be better conversationalists by listening comprehension and also being able to handle anything that's thrown at us, not just play the waiting game. That makes sense. And that's why we teach the conversation formula the first day of program, which essentially is the flow of all conversation. So in Johnny's metaphor of sitting there at home plate and waiting for the next pitch, right? This person is asking a question after question after question. And what happens is you become very needy in this place, right? You keep seeking information from the other person without giving them any information about yourself. And after a while, that's gonna become very exhausting for the other person conversationally. Like, why is this person asking me so much? Why is he not actually relating to me? I don't know anything about this person. The funny thing about that, and that also goes with this, is the other person that's getting asked all these questions who you've just met, they're now gonna look at you as rude because you're just trying to pull all this information out. And all you're trying to do is just trying to sort of get a conversation going. But you, it's hard to understand how pulling from somebody who doesn't know you is difficult and, and asking way too much. So the conversation formula essentially is you ask a question to start the conversation or to move the conversation forward so that at any point in the conversation, there's a lull or you don't know what to say, your first resort should be ask the person something about themselves. And then we're gonna listen to their answer. It's very important that we are engaged in our listening. And as Johnny said, not queuing up our response. And once we get their answer, we are going to make a statement in return. And that statement is a shared emotion, a shared experience, but it's something that relates you to the other person. And that flow happens continuously in conversation. So what you end up with 
you have a situation where now we've picked the other person's favorite topic, which is themselves, right? If you're asked a question about history, you might not know the answer. If you're asked a question about how to drive on the left side of the road, you might not know the answer. But if I ask you a question about something that's happened to you, something that interests you, someplace you've been, you know the answer. So the conversation's not gonna stall by starting with a question. And then we're gonna use a statement to relate to the other person. And when I say statement, I mean an actual sentence, right? So many times in conversation, we hear guys say, oh, statement, cool, awesome, totally, yeah, I share that same experience. And those are just filler words. Those are not actually statements. They don't tell me anything about you. So it's very important in conversation, if we ask a question, we answer that question back with a statement. So the other person feels like they're getting information about us, and now we have a platform to build further conversation from. Okay, so we ask an open-ended question, not something that's just, what's Johnny's favorite example? So you dig in the music with a little slow head nod and then awkward silence to follow, right? We need something that requires a more thoughtful response. A question that does not have a yes or no answer tied to it. Right, okay, and then listening to the response, not just queuing up our next statement, but making sure that we actually understand, showing that we're listening and understanding and non-verbally, right, eye contact, being present, things like that, not just thinking of the next clever thing, and then following up with a statement that's not just a filler word, like great or cool or awesome. I think that's cool is probably one of the most played filler kind of comments, and we hear this all the time, and it's usually, followed by a lot of silence and a request to excuse themselves and go to the bathroom or get another drink, right? Because it's kind of a, just a nail in the conversational coffin unless you're making a substantive statement. So can you, we get an example of an interaction that might use these three pillars? Yeah, so if I'm at a bar and I see Johnny and I wanna start a conversation with Johnny, I'll say, hey, that looks pretty good. What are you drinking? Uh, this is Makers on the Rocks. This is one of my favorites. Oh, I'm a whiskey drinker too, but I prefer Jameson over those uh, Kentucky bourbons. And at this point, he can tell me why he likes Jamo, or and I, which is only going to bring to me why I like Baker's Mark and how I started drinking it. So now we're full, fully engaged in conversation, and we're moving it forward. I'm not looking to hit a zinger out of the park and get this guy laughing. I'm, and this helps build to those moments, right? So. Let's say I don't drink whiskey, right? You could say, oh, wow, I've never had a Maker's Mark. I typically drink gin and tonic. And again, that's a statement. So now Johnny knows something about me and I know something about Johnny and the conversation can propel itself forward. If I were to say, yeah, cool, that looks good. We're done. Right? Johnny doesn't know anything about me. He doesn't know how to continue the conversation. So he's going to pause. And then what we're going to do to fill in that pause is we're going to ask another question. And all of a sudden, we're going to become needy. So as we've heard on the show before, right, you want to avoid the question train. You want to avoid sounding like you're interviewing someone. But the problem with that advice is that it doesn't take into account the fact that questions, when used well, actually work awesomely to open conversation and get the other person sharing. So the problem here is that if you ask question after question without adding that statement, you are taking information from the other person. But if you ask a question, listen to their answer, and make a statement, you're allowing the conversation to propel forward, and now Johnny's getting excited because we're gonna start talking about drinking. We're gonna start talking about something that he enjoys, something that I enjoy. So that's how conversations can start very easily with another guy, right? It's always a question we get along the lines of this is, okay, that's great. 
you know, how do I start a conversation with a woman, but I'm in a relationship? How do I meet guy friends? How do I meet quality men while I'm out networking or while I'm out at the bar? It's the same formula works for guys, girls, grandparents, <laughs> young kids. It's starting with the question, being curious, being interested in the other person is going to allow you to become interesting. Which, if you're going to be interesting, you have to be interested in what you have going on in your life. This brings me to the Dunning-Kruger effect, which we talk about in class, which is intelligent people tend to rate their abilities on the lower end of the scale, where people on the lower end of the IQ tend to rate their abilities much higher. So we have dim-witted blowhards that know everything and extremely intelligent people who are very self-critical and don't like to put themselves on a pedestal to be criticized. When it comes to self-development, where do you think most of those people lie? On the bell curve, right? On the, the upper end, right. right? Because they're looking to get more out of life. And they're smart enough to know that they have some weaknesses that they need to work on. Absolutely. And, and, and brave enough to say it. Now, so we have a set number of people who come in, who find themselves, and I hear it a lot, I don't have anything cool to talk about. Actually, you do, right? You just have to start caring about it and feeling good about it. And that takes some work. And I think everybody has to get comfortable with that at some time in their life. And obviously, as you've said on the phone, Jordan, uh, the beforehand was the best time and second best time is right now of getting comfortable with those things. And finding what you're interested in, right? It's outside of a work setting. So the easiest way I like to think about this is if you were given four weeks paid vacation from your boss and he said, you have to leave tomorrow, you got four weeks, what would you do with that four weeks if you had nothing work-related on your mind? Would you pick up a surfboard? Would you travel? Would you take a cooking class? Would you turn on the video games? Whatever that is, that is what excites you. That is what you should be sharing in conversation. That is what interests you. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now back to the show. So how do we then 
develop our ability to ask these questions? I mean, I guess from the standpoint of many people, don't you think it, it might sound totally random if I just ask a question out of nowhere? I mean, I feel like there'll be people that think, isn't that gonna be weird if I just walk up to somebody and ask this seemingly pretty mundane question out of nowhere? Because a lot of what we see when strangers interact is in movies where the other person is instantly entertained or there's some sort of other status involved. Very rarely does it seem, can we see ourselves walking up and doing something so so seemingly mundane and getting great results? Yeah, I talk about this first day of class and we're sitting there in the room and I say, all right, I would bet you guys a million dollars that over 90% of the conversations you've had in your life with a stranger have started with a question. And the reason I know this is because we're primed to answer other people's questions, whether it be, do you have the time? Uh, do you know how to get to the nearest Starbucks? Hey, I'm a little lost. Can you help me? Conversations start like that constantly. And my favorite example is if you're sitting at a stoplight and the car next to you rolls down their window and is looking at you, giving you eye contact, your first reaction is to lower your window because you know that that other person needs something. They're going to ask you a question. So it may seem on the surface, kind of random that you would ask someone a question, but many, many interactions start with a question, with someone else needing something, needing some assistance. And we are wired, hardwired to help each other out, to answer each other's questions. So questions are the key to unlocking that conversation that you see in the movies that is so magical. I love questions to kick it open. And my the other one that I love is the compliment opener. It's just a very quick, hey, I dig this shirt. Where did you pick it up? I have one like that at home and mine, blah, blah, blah. I'm excited about what you have on, your haircut, your shoes, what's going on. An easy observation I'm interested in. And I'm taking interest in you right. by complimenting you on your shirt and asking you where you got it. If these examples seem really sort of pedestrian, I think that sort of proves the point, right? I mean, a lot of folks expect some sort of magical. I remember when I was first starting to learn some advanced, or I should say maybe at that time, even basic or remedial social skills, I expected some sort of magic potion. Like, And we see these on the internet, and people write in with these all the time. In fact, I think AJ and I had a good laugh in Denver over an email that we'd got with some absolutely ridiculous, wild, stupid things to say that were supposed to be conversation starters. And the more fancy people try to get, the more clever people try to get with this stuff, the worse the results generally are because it, it sort of telegraphs you're looking for a specific result instead of having an organic, real conversation. Well, yeah, I mean, the more thought you put into it, the more outside of being present you're going to be. And let's think about it, right? The other person is just as nervous. So if I walk up to a person in a bar and I say, wow, the weather's been really great the past week, that person could wonder, is he even talking to me? Is this meant for me? What do I do with this, right? A statement is actually very confusing. Asking a question is very direct. It's telling the other person, I'm interested in talking to you. I'm interested in starting a conversation with you. It is the easiest way to get that ball moving. Does this also work if there's a lull in a regular conversation? Absolutely. So there's always going to be those peaks and valleys conversationally where you find that tangent, it's really emotionally energizing, both parties are excited, and then you finish your thought, and then there's this silence or what appears to be going into the valley. And in those moments, we teach our clients here to ask another question, state some more interest in the other person, open them up to another conversation topic that involves themselves, right? One of my favorite conversation reigniters is asking the person, 
what the favorite place they've been to. Just generally, where's the favorite place you've ever been? Right. Where have you traveled to recently that you really enjoyed? And what we're doing here is we're highlighting an experience of something that they've enjoyed, so they're going to be excited to talk about and share it with us, right? Not asking them, what food do you hate? Or <laughs> a negative emotion. Well, also, maybe that question plays into one of your favorite hobbies, right? You're an, a travel enthusiast, so you're going to be excited to take it there wherever they bring up. And What's great about this, if it's a place that you haven't been, you're going to be curious to hear about more of it. And if it's a place that you have been, well, then you have a lot to say about it on your end as well. Of course, uh, mine, the same way of speaking with other people, it's always going to be, it's always going to end up going into music, right? A, a lot of times I hang out at my crowd and meeting new people. It's going to be, what are you listening to lately that you've been really excited about? And that conversation is going to go on. I mean, so we're steering this in places that, once again, we're excited about. Yeah, I have another buddy who's really into documentaries. And every time we hang out, one of the first few questions he asks me is, hey, have you seen a documentary recently that really moved you or you enjoyed? Because he's ready to fire away with documentaries that he's seen, and he's also really interested in, in seeing other documentaries. Right, so we can use any bit of information we have about people if we have anything pre-existing. For example, if we're having a lull in a conversation or starting a conversation with somebody we know very little about, you can simply use that commonality to create a conversation. You don't have to know anything about that commonality. And we see this problem come into the inbox a lot where people say, oh, I don't know how to deal with my in-laws or my family in-law. And it's usually because, well, I don't know anything about where they came from or I don't know anything about this, that, or the other. You can actually have them explain it to you, simply becoming interested in things that you already know that they're interested in. And I'm sure they'll be happy to teach you, right? Kind of goes with your point earlier that people love talking about things that involve them. Absolutely. And as Johnny was saying, we also want to cultivate that in ourselves. So in our personal lives, we want to start being more interested in those topics that intrigue us, that make us excited, right? And then through that interest, we're going to convey that emotion conversationally when people start asking us about our interests and about our hobbies. So it's important that you start to understand that people are going to engage on an emotional level. Enthusiasm and excitement are what rule the conversation. And most people are not going to remember how the conversation started. Oh, was it a boring question? No. All they're going to remember about the interaction is the way you made them feel. Did they feel excited, enthusiastic? Were they having positive emotions tied to your conversation? So that's why we want to pick topics with our questions that interest us as well. So we can have that enthusiastic response. Right. This makes sense because especially guys, we love to relate logically, right? Straightforward ways, conversations, information exchange. It's very natural for us a lot of the time. But if we really want to connect with people, we have to relate emotionally. We have to go beyond logic, go beyond concepts, ideas, and get into the feelings. So how do we start the process of relating emotionally? Well, as, as JJ mentioned, I mentioned earlier, it's about getting it to topics that we're generally excited about. To be interesting, you have to be interested. And that's steering it into places where you're enthusiastic about communicating. I personally know that in order to make an impact with anyone, that emotional charge has to be there. If I'm going into a networking event or a place where I want to make sure that I make a good first impression, that I'm excited, that I'm smiling, that there's a lot of inflection in my voice about being there, about meeting certain people, and other people will always remember that. 
and following up on that, one of the most important things to realize is that people are observing our body language in our response. So it's not just about the words that you're using to describe these events. It's about showing that emotion in your face so that people can see and read the emotion expressed on your face and through your vocal tonality. And we hear time and time again from people who are interested in becoming more charismatic, becoming more engaging, how do I do it? And when we turn that video camera on on Tuesday, everyone thinks they're smiling, everyone thinks they're being expressive in their face, and when we play back that video, nine times out of 10, they're not smiling. They're not showing any expression in their face, which makes it very jarring and difficult for the other person to pick up on those emotional cues. So is this just empathy or is there something more going on? It's wearing that emotion on your sleeve. It's showing the other person, not only with your words, but with your facial expressions, those interesting tidbits about yourself, those genuine enthusiastic moments. And they're called emotional bits. Now, there's been a lot of studies done on emotional bits. Those moments of enthusiasm where you are expressing a large interest in whatever the topic may be, and does the other person conversationally recognize those? And relationships are formed on the recognition of emotional bits. So studies have shown that people in long-term relationships or marriages fail when they start not responding to their partner's emotional bits. So perfect example, let's say you're really into bird watching and you're married and you see a bird outside the window and you call your wife over, hey, you have to see this golden doodle parakeet, right? Your wife has two options. She can say, oh my God, run over to the window to see the bird with you or be like, yeah, cool and go back to what she's doing, right? If she doesn't run over to the window and express enthusiasm back, she's negated your emotional bit. She's not responded to you, she's ignored you. And over time, that builds resentment. So if we take that to a burgeoning, brand new relationship, right? Let's say you're, you wanna start a relationship with someone, you want to build a friendship with someone. If right off the bat, you're not responding to their emotional bids or their moments of enthusiasm and conversation, they're not gonna be interested in you. They're not gonna wanna further this conversation and they're certainly not gonna wanna build a relationship with you. So these emotional bids are the foundation of every relationship, whether it's with a significant other, a friendship, or even with your coworkers. A lot of people talk about wanting to go out and not having any drinks, and I can understand that. And a lot of people will talk about making sure that before they go out, they're even a little bit socially looped up. And I can't remember the movie, but it was uh, about a, an uncle taking his nephew out to socialize, and he just was turning 21. And the uncle was buying his nephew a drink, and then the, the nephew's like, "Oh, I, I don't drink." And the uncle's like, "Listen, you're not going to circumvent ten thousand years of of social lubrication or reinvent the wheel right now, right? That this works. This is what you need." But what is the point with alcohol, right? It takes off some of the filters you have to be a little bit more emotional, to not hold back, to just let go. So that comes through. That's why a lot of social events conjugate around drinking. Thanks for listening and supporting The Art of Charm. For a list of all of the amazing sponsors and discount codes, visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to the show. 
what about guys and girls for this matter who say, well, I don't, I'm not very emotional, you know? And I think a lot of guys, we lose touch with our emotions as we get a little bit older. And I think that happens to guys and girls. More so, we see this with guys, but do we need to get back in touch with our emotions? Is there a useful way to get back in touch that to get our emotions to create meaningful connections with others or are we just screwed? The first part is if someone is aware enough to know that they're a bit emotionally stiff, so to say, that's fine. Like they've admitted it. They can work on that. So that would be the first step. Things like improv definitely help. It gets you loosened up. It allows you to work in a context of a safe environment to show you that how just getting on base will allow things to build and get you comfortable with that. And it's a bit of an exposure therapy of continually going out, trying new things and, and having fun with it, not taking it too seriously, because after all, it's socialization. It's an art form. As we say all the time here on the show and in, in class, mind leads the body and the body leads the mind. So if you know that mentally you're struggling with your emotional state or you, you're pretty stoic, right? You're not showcasing those emotions. Start with the body. Start with emoting through your body language, wearing that big smile across your face throughout the entire conversation, standing taller and open. And that's going to allow you to not only showcase positive emotions to the other person, but also start to pick up on the emotions around you. If we close off our body language, we're closing off our mind. So it's going to be very difficult for us to listen and also respond to the emotions that other people are sharing with us. But if I walk in with a smile, by the end of the night, if I hold that smile, my negative emotions or my lack of emotions have disappeared. And now I'm just feeling good. I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling warm. I'm feeling present. So the easiest way is to start wearing those emotions on your sleeve through your body language. And then those emotions are going to start flooding back mentally. There's always a guy in class who's like, well, I'm just not a smiler. Well, got news for you, buddy. It's going to be a rough week. It's going to be a rough week. A few days in, I mean, once they give it a, a shot and they see how that changes their whole demeanor and the time that they have. And, and how the world responds to them uh, yeah, with a smile. It, it's a done deal. And then you can't get them to stop. And we can build this habit through conversation. When we're listening, we can show that we're listening non-verbally. And I know a lot of guys that come through, or at least a lot of guys that have written in, say things like, well, you know, when I'm listening, people don't really know whether or not I am. And so I know we recommend to show non-verbally that we're listening, even if we think we don't really need to, because it's important to be perceived as somebody who's listening carefully. And of course, that helps generate presence. Like you said, the mind follows the body, the body follows the mind. And when it comes to relating emotionally, we know there's emotion behind everything that people say to us. And since those emotions are the keys to relating to others, the one thing we have in common with everyone is that we all have emotions and we can all relate at that level. Right. So it's very important while you're listening that your statement to their response is connected right? The easiest way to show someone you're not listening is to have a statement in response that's completely unrelated to what they just said. Yeah, I can see that making conversations really awkward. And I think a lot of people who are awkward in conversation tend to do that because they get nervous, right? So somebody might get vulnerable and they're not quite ready to do that. So someone says, yeah, I just lost my job. I'm getting a divorce and my kids hate me. And they're like, hey, have you been to that new pizza place downtown? It looks amazing. And it's just like the walls, the bank vault just slams shut. And we see that because of the emotional mismatch. Yeah, and, and the important thing with that example to understand is that 
just because someone else is sharing a negative emotion doesn't mean that you need to now share negative emotions back, but respond. Let them know, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a very difficult situation. Acknowledge that emotion and then move the conversation forward. Don't avoid the emotion entirely, which is what Jordan's example was, was basically this person's expressing a negative emotion. I don't want to share any negative emotion, so I'm going to ask about the baseball game. There's a lot of good that can come out of a negative emotion, sharing it in the proper way. I mean, showing empathy, being there with that person puts some solidarity into the relationship and it shows some warmth. However, you're now able to bring that person out of that or shed light on the situation. So at least you can laugh at it. And that brings two people together more than anything. Right. Saying something like, well, it's a good thing you're out tonight because we're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah is an acknowledgement that they are having a negative emotion and a forecasting of some future yeah. fun together. It's a good thing you don't have to, your job anymore because we're getting fucked up tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the solution to everything. I think people feel the need to dive down the negativity rabbit hole when people share negative emotions. Instead, what we can do is acknowledge that emotion and then take the lead and bring the entire conversation out of that. As you mentioned earlier, we hear from a lot of folks that they feel like they're not interesting, so it's tough for them to talk about themselves. Is there a way, aside from just saying, well, be interested, what concrete things can we do to actually become more interesting or to develop our sense of interestingness to others? Well, it's really important to understand how you talk to yourself plays a large role in a, in a lot of things that we do. It's very easy to be self-deprecating and to put yourself down, and that's fine. It has its place, but you want to be aware of that. You don't want it to be your go-to and something that you always do. In fact, what we were talking about earlier about getting excited about life. There's a, a writer who I enjoy whose name is Howard Bloom, and he always talks about keeping a journal of things that you're very interested in that you have going on in your life, projects that you're working on. And Howard was a, one of those people growing up who was a brainiac, who was very quiet. And later in life, in the PR business in the 80s, he had to learn how to sell himself. And it was a skill that he didn't have. So he realized that he needed to get excited about what he had going on. So he just kept a journal and what he would write everything down and what he was excited about working on, things that were coming up. So that when anyone who would come up to him and there was a conversation started, these things were fresh in his mind. And so he was able to, to blurt them out and be excited about these things. So that is one way. Also, start planning things. Start planning the trips that you want to go on. Start planning the adventures that you want to take. Yeah, I think highlighting a couple areas of weakness, things that you would like to improve and put in together a plan of action will start to make you interesting, right? Because people want to see growth. People sure. want to see uh, other people who are trying to get better, improve themselves. It's very interesting and attractive. And then highlighting some places you'd like to visit. And lastly, some long-term life goals. What would you like people to say you accomplished over your, your life or your career? And as Johnny said, by writing this down and really spending some time thinking about it, it's going to allow you in conversation to be more in tune with your thoughts and more in tune with your emotions. Let's say worst case scenario, right? You have no places you want to go. You have no skills you want to work on. You're totally lost and directionless. Go online and sign up for an improv class. We've talked about this earlier, but honestly, an improv class is one of the easiest ways to get out of your own head, to get out of that shell and start getting excited about something. 
And you would be amazed. Obviously, we live in L.A., so a lot of people do improv. But you would be amazed how many conversations we have, even while we're traveling, where we talk about, oh, we've taken this really fun class on improv. I think is always a surprise to a lot of people who take it is first the idea is I'm going to go there. I'm going to get more witty. I'm going to get out of my head, but it also teaches you how important listening is because it doesn't work without that point. Right. There's not a single game you'll play an improv class that allows you to queue up the next line and get away without listening. So that's why you're not going to be sitting there on your smartphone. You're not going to be flicking through your Facebook. In class, you have to be fully engaged and fully listening to follow along or everything's going to fall apart. So that's where those of us who struggle with listening, who struggle to find our sense of humor, who struggle to showcase emotion in conversation can work on all three of those skills in one place. And you're going to meet some really fun, awesome people. Oh, yeah. It's very social. People usually go out afterwards because they want to talk about all the interesting bits that had popped up. It's its own world and in itself. And we are so excited about improv. We include it in our boot camp here in Los Angeles because we feel so passionately about its impact on your ability to socialize and relate and connect with other people. Specifically designed for just that with improv concepts. Right. We've got kind of a custom unit at boot camp where we have the improv girls come in and teach us the things that meld over specifically with AOC curriculum. So far, it's some of the guys' favorite parts of boot camp just because it is so so surgical and what it addresses and what it attacks and what it fixes with the guys that come in. This is pretty much it, right, for this particular topic, or am I missing? Right after we wrap here, what action should people be First, taking? First, we should start with the conversation formula and try our best to use this on a daily basis with everyone we're interacting with, asking people how their day is going, asking them questions, and then relating to their answer in the form of a statement. And you'd be amazed at how many interesting conversations you will have in your life just by using curiosity to start the interaction with strangers. Yeah, have fun. Be a social scientist with it. Second thing is start journaling. Start writing down what excites you, what interests you in life, what skills you'd like to develop, what places you'd like to visit, what languages you'd like to learn. By yourself being more curious about the world and about life and writing this stuff down, it's going to put it in your mind in a special place so that you can very quickly access it conversationally. Right. So now it's not just passing daydreams, but by writing it down, we can start making these things a reality. The best thing is waking up every day with new stuff that'd be knocking off your list. And if any of this sounded scary, frightening, terrifying, sign up for an improv class in your local town. Show up that first day with an open mind and you're going to have a lot of fun. You're going to learn how to listen. You're going to learn how to use questions properly and start emoting and relating and sharing with strangers. Good stuff. I mean, of course, we know you have to be interested to be interesting. It's a familiar concept on the show. Staying small, putting yourself on display for criticism, self-deprecation, planning a life to talk about, journaling, getting excited, everything from improv to listening skills. There's so much here. And I'm glad we got a chance to talk to AJ and Johnny about this stuff, give you a little taste of what we do here at Boot Camp. Speaking of boot camps, you can check out the info on that, bootcamp.theartofcharm.com, all on the website. And remember, we're sold out a few months in advance, so if you're thinking about it a little bit, get in touch ASAP, get some info from us so you can plan ahead. You can also call us here in the office anytime. I also want to encourage you to join us in our social capital challenge, theartofcharm.com slash challenge, or in the USA only, text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444. 
The challenge is about improving your networking and connection skills, inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. And we'll also email you our Fundamentals Toolbox, episodes like this that I mentioned earlier on the show. And I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. Look, this will make you a better networker. It'll make you a better connector. It'll make you a better thinker. So check it out, theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed in the US of A to 33444. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at the Art of Charm Podcast dot com.